Hi, I'm Ant, and this is Creator Generation. Generation The Deaf First Heard trial, I think, was a watershed moment. You know, no matter who you sort of supported in the trial or what you thought of that trial, like, you can't deny that that was a really impactful moment for the creator world. I think, and also mainstream media, I think, saw it like that. You know, suddenly, you know, editors at mainstream places were like, wait a minute, where's all this information coming from? Where are people getting their information? And it was from content creators. Let's get into it. All right, we're back with another podcast episode of Creator Generation this week. It's our last week. We've got Taylor Lorenz. Taylor is, well, she's a creator. She's a journalist. She's a columnist. Say that too many times. And from the Washington Post covering technology, online culture, Taylor, welcome to Creator Generation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I think I did a disservice with a very brief intro. Maybe you can probably save me into a better one. Who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Let's do that. I, um, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, I cover the online creator world for the Washington Post. I'm a tech columnist. Um, I've been here about five months before here. I was at the New York Times for several years, um, before that at the Atlantic. I've been covering this world since 2009 uh, when I got into it. I was a content creator myself. I started out just as an independent creator, I got popular on Tumblr and became a blogger and um, then got into Instagram and all that. And um, yeah, I've been reporting on this industry for now 13 years, which is crazy and shows how ancient I am. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's a long time considering the age of the online creator ecosystem, like the phrase creator economy definitely didn't exist three years ago so 13 years ago I don't know what terminology we were using back then partner well it's the term creator comes from um next new networks which YouTube acquired and YouTube had the partner program so they were calling their creators partners when they acquired next next new next new was like we you know use they sort of pioneered the term creator so that really happened in 2011 which is such a better word than influencer. And um, we could dive into that and go on a tangent, but we won't, the difference yeah. between creator and influencer. <laughs> so, and like, like you mentioned, and you, you know, you started as a, as a creator and um, what brought you into like, you know, you're in the mainstream journalism world, Atlantic, New York Times, Washington Post now. Like what, what brought you across <laughs> to, from, you know, independent creator to the big media world? It's very funny because um, anybody that knows me for a long time, I mean, the whole first half of my career, I was basically just bashing the New York Times and the mainstream media, I think, as a lot of content creators feel. I, When I was a blogger, you know, I was writing about things on the internet and I would see traditional media writing about internet people like myself and my friends and, and writing about it in this really out of touch way. And I just thought they were horrible idiots. And so I thought that's why I, I was like, if, you know, these people are writing this for the New York times, I certainly can be a journalist. And, um, and it's very funny because as my career has progressed, I now, um, you know, work, work for these big places. Um, and I, I do think they've evolved a little bit not enough, but a little bit from where they came. <laughs> Um, and they're trying to understand the world. Um, but I think it's really fun. You know, I, I think trying to explain this world to a legacy media audience is something I'm really passionate about. 
I think there are a lot of really great people, I mean, YouTubers, right, that speak to an internet audience and kind of speak to people who are already online. But I really want to reach those people that are not and, and kind of help them understand this world. And so I think, you know, these legacy outlets are a good place to do that. Yeah, so that I mean that that speaks to your motivation and makes perfect sense, and I love it. But why why does the Post and the Times like why why are they now looking to talk about this space? Well, I think they desperately want to. I mean, they want to capture younger audiences, and I think a lot of younger audiences um, are not. You know, they're not traditionally flocking to legacy media. They're getting their news and information from TikTok and YouTube and content creators, frankly. And so, I think to try and compete in this world, they they're starting to try to cover it. Um, very slowly, but I think that they recognize that the the industry is changing and they can't just ignore it or, you know, have some person write some condescending stuff on it. And also, I mean, not to like hide myself, but I broke a lot of big news stories. And I think that those news stories ended up having real impact. And so they see that obviously, and they want to, you know, have that at their outlet. <laughs> well, it, it's a segue that we'll lean on later, but I, I love a segue, even a really bad one. But speaking of like breaking news and, and stories in the in the space, like that's what we'll sort of pick apart a fair bit today is, you know, what are those new stories from this year that's shaping the creator economy? But like, it, you know, just to bang on a bit more about you for a sec, because yeah, you, you're on, you know, writing Washington Post and previously the Times, but you're also, I mentioned you're a creator, you've, you've Tumblr, TikTok, you're prolific um about half a million followers there which is pretty impressive um you know tw- you're on everything twitter substack mastodon you, you, you know you've got the backup on mastodon in case the twitter dumpster fire turns into the inferno um instagram youtube not yet but we can help with that um so you you're sort of like this multi-platform news journal creator hybrid is that like is that fair? You like you? I had a Snapchat show in 2016. Right. Okay. So I, I and I think that's good for everyone to get the background. So like Taylor knows her shit, and that's um, about this space across what the mainstream media is doing, but also really from a, being a creator and being embedded in the ecosystem. And like I think on your um like Insta stories, it's always like 90 percent of it's memes and um like just the internet like you know, like a portal into some weird parts of the internet. So it's it's not just hard-hitting news, it's it's fun and it, it reflective of what's going on in the, the space that you're reporting. And like without a good segue, to, to shift gears then, but as part of you being a creator, you <laughs> we were talking about this before we hit record, but you, for some reason you're like, because you, you're out there um, on all these platforms and reporting on mainstream media, you're also somehow like the... Um, the target, I guess, of, of some—I don't want to say interesting because interesting just downplays it—but from some pretty like shocking, hateful, negative commentary. Like this, I went down a rabbit hole with this thing called Breaking Points, which is a podcast and YouTube um, videos as well. Like Crystal and Saga, they really have a bone to pick with you. Like, do you know why you're the enemy number one a lot of the time in in for right-wing media yeah with them specifically it's very weird they just lie a lot about me like (laughs) i was watching some video they did about me and i'm just like this is just like literally made up 
like fan fiction about me at this point. Um, but I think that they just, I mean, you know, they just take their talking points from people like Tucker Carlson, who's notoriously always um, ranting about me. Um, I think I just kind of became this avatar for things that the right wing media hates. I, I think that my beat, you know, I do a lot of sort of reporting on online influence. And I think for a long time, a lot of figures on the far right have been able to kind of weaponize this new media ecosystem for their own gain and exploit the fact that people in traditional media don't understand the creator landscape to sort of almost make it like like politicize this shift that's happening in media towards content creators. And my work really refutes that. It's like, hey, look, this is actually just a big change. It's nothing to do with politics. It just has to do with technology and empowerment. And actually, you know, the creator economy can be used to build this really diverse new media ecosystem, right? That's inclusive of everyone. And they really don't like that. And um, I think also, you know, I'm just like an outspoken woman on the internet, which people don't hmm. ever like. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions. And I don't, I mean, I cover YouTubers and content creators for a living. So I'm not exactly like a wallflower, you know, like I don't mind debating people or whatever. So I think it's just kind of led to this mix where, I don't know, they, it's always very weird because I'm not very political online at all. Like the only thing I care about in terms of like issues is maybe like, you know, I'm severely immunocompromised and I do care about like COVID, like just think that everyone, you know, should be protected and be careful. But aside from that, I, I'm not like, I don't post about political issues at all. And it's just very funny because they're always on like Tucker Carlson, like the woke liberal, whatever. And it's like, I mean, okay. <laughs> I'm talking about the Streamy Awards today. I don't. I don't know <laughs> if that's the most political issue. <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing how they uh, pull your agenda for the the Streamy Awards coverage on that. But how do you like? Is it validating for you? And you, I mean, you're, you're not looking to poke the bear. You're not like you said. You're not political. So how do you deal with yeah. it? Like, what does it? You know, how do you like? Because a lot of creators go through well hate and misinformation directed at yeah. them, not often in other, I like, you know, they don't get Tucker Carlson calling them out, but they get, you know, negativity and hate. How do you deal with it? And maybe you have drama channels on your back. You know, I, I think, I, I mean, I think it's actually given me enormous empathy for the people that I cover. And I think having been through this experience and having this like sort of massive like hate campaign and dealing with that and navigating it. It's just, it's made me so much more aware of what it's like to kind of be in the public eye and what it's like to have, you know, people on the internet do things like that. And I've gotten stories that I think I wouldn't have gotten before because people know that they can trust me. I mean, Keffels, when I profiled her, she's a big trans Twitch streamer. I mean, I was the only person that she wanted to talk to at this point, that, that point, she she'd not talked to any media prior to me because she just, I think felt, like she couldn't trust them to tell the story right. And I think that people that talk to me and, and give me information or work with me on stories, like they know that I get it on such a deep level that they can trust me because I've been there and I've been through a lot of stuff. And um, I mean, yeah, I deal with stuff on a bigger level, but I think, you know, if you're a content creator, you're dealing with that all the time. You're dealing with hate, you're dealing with people misrepresenting you, you're just, you know, these are things that actually affect a lot more people on the internet than, than most people realize. So, um, 
I think it's really helped my reporting and helped inform it. And there's definitely stories that I've written a few years ago that now that I've been on the other side of things, I, I probably would have changed the way I've written them because I think I've gained so much insight. It's um, interesting to hear that it helps your reporting to be the target of hate and vitriol and misinformation. But um, <laughs> hey, whatever way you can turn it, turn it around, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a benefit rather than a negative. Um, all right. Well, it sucks let's, too, uh, but, you know. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you know, you're normal. It's good to hear. Like, it's not good to hear, but it's good to hear that it, it sucks as well. Like, you know, you're not superhuman. It, it, it's, you know, it's good to know. I think that's good to hear because a lot of the time people will be like, oh, yeah, it doesn't affect me. But really, I cry myself to sleep. And we put that out into the world and all people hear is it doesn't affect me. Um, it's hard to relate to. Anyway, I'm going on a complete drivel random. Um, let's dive into the meat and potatoes of, of the episode. Like, you know, we're wrapping up the end of 2022. It's been well, it's been a year. Um, who would have thought after like the, you know, previous two years of COVID like smashing, um, which is is still a thing, but um, who would have thought that 2022 would be, a, you know, as eventful as it has been. I, I kind of want to pick apart, yeah, like what, you know, what are the, what are some of those top stories that you've seen that you've covered, maybe, maybe you haven't covered them that have really shaped like this creator culture and the, like the creator economy for 2022. And then when we, we will sort of pick those apart and then I wouldn't mind sort of let's crystal ball a little bit where we're going next year. Um, hell next week is hard enough to guess at the moment, but we'll, we'll look ahead to next year. Is there, is there one, we'll save the big one for last, I think. Um, well, the big current one for last, but is there one to kick off that you sort of saw? What do you want me to, want me to throw one at you? Uh, well, yeah. Well, why don't you start if you have an idea? Yeah, my idea, like, I, I'm pretty sure at the start of this year, 2022, probably late uh, 2021, was just NFTs and the creators. Um, I remember seeing it and going, what the hell is going on? I don't understand. There's a whole new language. Like, have I missed something? And I, got, I went deep. I went deep to try and understand. Um but I think while I was trying to go deep and understand, a lot of people were going thin and trying to make money um, fast. And, and and so I guess what's your take on it? Do you have like a – because you're the journo. You're way better at this than me. What like What's the summary here? Like what happened? Yeah, it was – I mean, a lot of it was a scam. I, I definitely did not buy into a lot of it. I, that's not to say that I'm totally writing off NFTs. I think – Anytime you have a new kind of fad technology come come up, you get a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening, but there's a lot of grifters and it just becomes this buzzword that people attach to anything. And so I think I kind of, as a journalist, I, I just was like, man, I'm sitting a lot of this out. It's going to crash in six months. And if it doesn't crash in six months, then I'll, you know, do more on it. But I, I just... To me, what was interesting was more the community aspect of it. I mean, I think it's cool how these communities developed around different things. Um, but I think, you know, with crypto and NFTs, my feeling is like culture and culturally significant things, they usually don't come from venture capitalists. Like that's just not how culture is made. It's not made by rich investors making something like a financialized system. 
So I just thought, you know, eh, I don't really see this working out. Um, so I'm not going to go too deep into covering it. And ultimately it did crash, um, which isn't to say that there's not tons of interesting stories in, in that realm. We were mentioning actually before we started recording, like CoffeeZilla is, is an iconic creator who's just done so much great work, really like digging into that crypto ecosystem, debunking stuff, exposing frauds. I think that's really great, important journalism. Um, I did, you know, I did definitely do a few crypto stories, but I kind of just thought, let me see if this is a fad, which is usually the way I approach a lot of stuff. Like I, I will just watch for a while before going full in. Interesting. It's not to write it off totally, by the way. No, I mean, I, I, I went deep because I think there's inherent value in this. And yeah, the community stuff's really interesting. I think the technology is super interesting and the ability for like um, community and audience to own like valuable assets or valuable things that are part of a creator um, that continue to, and and not just make money, but it's like the value is deeper than that. I think, you know, like the, the, that's where we're sort of missing. Um, and I think, you know, there's just going to be smarter people than me who figure out how we can like break down the walls and like all this secret language and GM this and, you know, you've got to have a wallet with secret passes and phrases and understand the bizarro sort of crypto financial world for most people. Like once that becomes normal language that I can understand, um, I think it'll just go ballistic um, and it will just become part of our everyday. We won't really think about it. But, yeah, hype train massively. But watch this space. I mean, FTX doesn't do much like crashing doesn't do much for confidence in people in crypto but it'll come <laughs> that's a whole nother it'll come it's like everything comes in waves too you know but you have to have these hype cycles right where it gets tons of hype and then it kind of cools and then it'll probably have another one and then it cools and each time it kind of grows a little bit more and more so i think we're just we're in a valley right now but i agree with you i think there's tons of interesting stuff in that realm and the technology is interesting and will be used for a lot of cool stuff in the future. In your in your time in this space, have you seen something do that before where it crazy hype? And this is a question without notice. Crazy hype, burn out, and then come back and become the norm? Yeah. I mean, tons of stuff. Um, although it's not the norm yet, I've been through three distinct VR hype cycles. <laughs> I think mm. we're coming out of the third one. Uh, 2017 was the last one. 2014 before that, when Google did Google Cardboard, the those things. And then we had Facebook investing in it, the 360 video thing, then it kind of cooled off. And then now they've rebranded it the metaverse. It's the same thing. It's just, so each time, you know, like you see, it gets a little, it progresses, right? Is it, does everyone have VR? No, we're still not there. It's probably going to be a few more of those peaks and valleys, but this is just how technology, you know, evolves. It, it just, it's not, it's never linear growth. Yeah, that that's cool to see that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I remember those um, the cardboards. <laughs> Hilarious when you think about it now. Yeah. <laughs> Strapping a cardboard box and your and your phone onto your face. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't done that, just Google that, and you can. I'm sure you can find them still. Classic. Hey, just a quick interruption. We have the Creator Generation Discord community. Join your fellow creators from all over the world. We are here to help you grow thrive succeed help each other be accountable and get it done so hit the link join us in the discord i look forward to seeing you there
All right, moving on. Is there another, like, what's, have you got another story, like, that shapes this year, or you want me to keep throwing them at you? You keep going. You ha- you have a better idea. Okay. So. All right. All right. We'll stop asking. All right. We'll talk about this one, and we've, this one's been coming up a bit, but Mr. Beast, the, like, the aura, the, the growth beyond the creator world. Like, he's ubiquitously known as the creator outside. We'll, so, we're talking just now about, um, streaming awards and how that's like a real public general public general popularity um visible thing that the traditional mainstream media world can understand um but also like broader audiences can understand um but like it's undeniable like that he and well everything that he does is is a big news story within the creator economy but now that transcends creator economy and um I think is is a good thing for putting a spotlight on the creator economy, but maybe also a bad thing. Um, but I can but start. We'll come to the bad in a minute. What are, What are your thoughts on the Mister Beast media empire story? <laughs> I think it's interesting. I have written a bunch about him over the years. Um, you know, sometimes critical of him. Uh, People always think I'm a Mr. Beast hater. That's very much not true. I think what he's accomplished is amazing. Um, But I think it's also, you know, it's a very specific type of content. I think he's optimized, you know, he's really built like a really insane machine um, and it's incredible. And you you have to give him credit for what he's done. Um, But you know, I, I don't know if it's the most achievable example. And I don't know that a lot of people that kind of like copy him are necessarily like, you know, I, I would love to see a little more creativity. I feel like he's so held up as like the gold standard right now. I see so many kids email me their YouTube channels because they want press coverage. And so many of them are just like, I'm going to the next Mr. Beast. And you click on their video and they're clearly emulating that. So I, you know, that he's, he's definitely inspiring um, a lot of people, but um, but I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I would love a little more like diversity and hundred percent. Do you like, if, if articles are written on Mr. Beast, do you think like from a, you know, Washington post or just mainstream media, do they, do they get the clicks? Do they get the views? Like, is that something that, um, it kind of depends. It depends. I wrote a big piece on Mr. Beast's empire, um, speaking to a lot of former employees at his company. I spoke to over a dozen um, or around a dozen former employees. It might've been 11 um, in uh, when I was at the New York Times. Um, and it, it did get read, but I don't think it was necessarily by his fans. You know, I think it depends on the story you're writing. If it's a critical story, <laughs> fans don't love it. I, I think if you're writing a story like Mr. Beast is awesome, he released a new burger. Yes, people are going to click. Um, I write yep. features, so my stories are, you know, I have to dig a little bit deeper. But I mean, look, he's a main, he's a major celebrity. Like he's a major, he's very famous. So, you know, I think he's worth covering. He's built a I mean, my feeling is like he's built this business and it should be looked at as a business and covered like mm-hmm. a business. And that's why I was interested in his labor practices, um, which seemed at the time pretty bad and chaotic, although I think he's gotten it way more streamlined. And, you know, people, when I interviewed a lot, when I did my story at the Times and I interviewed a lot of former employees and a bunch of employees were very unhappy 
And people were so mad and they're like, oh, you're trying to cancel Mr. Beast. And I just was like, I, first of all, no, we write about all these companies. 90% of this profile is like so positive. And also, I mean, I don't think it takes a genius to think that like, oh, maybe the a 23-year-old YouTuber might not, you know, have the most organized company in the world, right? Like, that's just, yeah. it's not even like that newsworthy. I, I And I, and actually since then, I think he's hired a lot of, um, he's really streamlined it. And like, from what I've heard, like mm -hmm. hired a lot of kind of like mid-level management, but um, you know, it's, it's worth covering how these people are growing their companies. I mean, I think he has, if you think about startups, he is one of the most successful startup entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I think that's like, we were talking about this pre-record and, bring everyone to into the how how the sausage is made but yeah like mr beast is fantastic he's carved out his niche we don't need too many more and there's not space for too many more here's the point zero 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 one percent and not many people can find that but that's okay um like the internet and and the creator world is for for everyone and like you can and can and should build really interesting successful channels and businesses around I think I use the example of plants that only grow in water, but um, there's so many niches upon niches. You know, if you think of gaming, there's so many sub niches. If you think of Roblox, there's even so many sub niches within Roblox. Um, and that's, that's awesome. Um, I think what he's done is shone a spotlight on the industry brought more broadly and shown that what we've already always known, Taylor, you've been in this game for over 13 years, that this is, and it's called that the creator economy to it, the whole thing he's, like creator generation is the next generation that's building the media companies of the future and uh, have the influence. Um, he's just the the first beacon, but we shouldn't just use him as a crutch. I think if anyone follows Jim Lauderback's um, Inside the Creator Economy newsletter, um, I was having a chat to him with, with Fred, who Fred left us, and he's missing out on this conversation, but left us for this week, not permanently. Um and we're having that conversation. We st we've got to, as an industry, stop using Mr. Beast as the crutch, as the example of the creator economy or of a creator doing interesting things well. Um, he is optimized to the hilt in exactly what he does, but that's not for everyone. Um, good on him. But we don't need another one. It's kind of like, Taylor, as you mentioned, like you're getting your in inbox full of Mr. Beast wannabe lookalikes. I'm sure you would have seen that with... Um, Casey Neistat back in the day because I know I did when Casey was yep. huge. Every young male wannabe YouTuber was using those lo-fi beats with the big bold text and they rode an electric skateboard or if they couldn't afford electric skateboard, they were riding a skateboard without, you know, using their old kick push. And, yeah, they, you, can't, you can't be Casey Neistat better than him. You can't be Jimmy better than Mr. Beast. So, yeah, like... Do you? Um, anyway, I'll, st I'll shut up. Um, an interesting one I, I sort of picked up, and I don't know if I gave this one to you, Taylor, so sorry, but I thought, um, and this might have a deeper one, but how the Depp v. Heard trial was played out online in, in yes. by creators. It was like, mm -hmm. you can set this up way better than me, and people might be like, well, how did this story shape creator culture? But... I think it was an interesting sort of look into like the the unfiltered side of the internet of where you can anyone can say whatever they want whenever they want without real they don't need to justify it I guess but maybe you can explain way better than what I'm rambling about on what went down with Depp be heard online. 
Yeah, the Depp versus Heard trial, I think, was a watershed moment um, for the creator world, actually, um, especially in terms of the mainstream media recognizing the power of online creators. I mean, the primary way that most people consumed information about that trial was through the lens of content creators, whether they were pro Johnny creators or pro Amber creators. And so you just got this really fractured media environment. I mean, the majority of the internet was definitely team Johnny. Um, and I actually interviewed a, a bunch of creators who talked on the record about this, of just the incentives where they actually, you know, wanted to cover Amber Heard a little bit more, but they felt like that would get them a lot of hate. And so they were kind of leaning further into the Johnny Depp coverage. And, and that really shaped the public narrative of the trial. And most people consume the trial through the lens of these clips or through YouTubers with a lot of YouTubers with uh, ties to Gamergate, which is this big harassment movement in, you know, in the early 2010s around women in gaming journalism. So it's very interesting. I mean, I, I think, you know, no matter who you sort of supported in the trial or what you thought of that trial, like you can't deny that that was a really impactful moment for the creator world. I think, and also mainstream media, I think, um, saw it like that, you know, suddenly, you know, editors at mainstream places were like, wait a minute, where's all this information coming from? Where are people getting their information? And it was from content creators. It's full on. What do you think the impact so. of that is? Because like you said, it was very bipartisan. It was, you know, what was scary to me is that as somebody that covers a lot of these, like, I guess, behind the scenes forces that influence people is that how quickly people were to you just believe what was spoon fed to them, right? Like, I mean, there was a lot of people, I mentioned Gamergate, right? Like a lot of prominent YouTubers with really, really deeply misogynistic backgrounds who have made really problematic content about women for years suddenly coming for Amber Heard. I'm not, you know, that's, that's something that should be taken to, into account that if you were writing a news story, you'd be like, hey, I don't know that this person is the most reliable authority on this subject. That's not to say that you wouldn't come to the same conclusion as supporting whoever, but like you're getting your information from very dubious sources. And um, so I think, yeah. And I, and I think it was a good example of how the internet rewards, you know, incentivizes certain things. Um, I talked to an Instagram meme page owner who has, you know, millions of followers. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I just posted a bunch of anti Amber Heard content because it was generating so much engagement, AKA he was, you know, helping to facilitate a really vicious smear campaign. Wow. Just because it was getting him engagement. And, and, you know, when I interviewed him about it, he really thought about it. And this kid is young and he was like, yeah, you know, in retrospect, maybe I wouldn't have done that exactly the same way, but I think people don't think like that necessarily. You're just kind of posting, you know, Tevi, what do you think? So how's that going to shape things moving forward? Do you think like, will it sh change anything? Are people aware of this other than those who read your articles? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, like I said, what, what really shocked me was that there was not a broader awareness. Like people were really just eating up these narratives and then you would start to question them and be like, well, where did you hear that? Or, oh, you're watching this YouTuber. Are you familiar with that YouTuber's history? And, and do you consider that person reliable knowing that history? No, you know, maybe that's something you should look into. So I think it just goes back to media literacy and, you know, just educating people on how these narratives are shaped and, and the sort of the underlying uh, forces at work that are shaping them. I, I don't know. I honestly, it didn't, it wasn't very like heartening because most people I interviewed like didn't 
gain much like from it other than, wow, YouTubers are really telling me a lot about the news. And it's like, yes. And that can be a great thing, but it can also be dangerous. <laughs> Just the way any media can be great or dangerous, right? You set me up with an awesome segue. Speaking of dangerous media, no, I won't do that. Um, but <laughs> you know where this one's going. Like, I think you know a big, big story this year. You know, rounding out the the year is Twitter and all that is going on with Twitter. With old mate Elon Musk buying Twitter, making it independent, and then doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm not going to say many things because. Taylor, you've been you've been covering it extensively. You, can you give us a quick snapshot of what's happened and where it's going? Yeah, it it's a disaster. Yeah, it's really wild. Um, I mean, I love chaos as a reporter, but this one is is extra chaotic. I mean, Elon bought this platform and he's never run any kind of social platform before. So you're kind of watching him just like speed run every lesson that these platforms have had to learn over the past 14 years um, or longer. Um, I think Twitter was founded 2007. Um, he, you know, he first says, oh yeah, free speech for all. And then you quickly see him reverse course. And now he's just arbitrarily banning people, uh, you know, saying that quote unquote negative content is going to be downranked and hidden. I mean, these are all really horrifying things as somebody that is a fierce, fierce advocate for free speech. I mean, journalists, you cannot do your job without the First Amendment. Like, we are some of the most aggressively pro-free speech people out there. It's scary to see someone like Elon come in and under the guise of, you know, he talks all this stuff about free speech, but then his actions, he actually is like severely limiting it. And, and sort of, it's it's very arbitrary and capricious and scary. Uh so we'll see. I mean, I'm not like married to Twitter. If he runs it into the ground, I don't know, it might be good <laughs> in some ways, but I think it would be really harmful in other ways. It's a very unique platform and I would hate to see it go. Um, he has talked about wanting to court creators, which is interesting to me. Specifically, he wants to monetize video. Um, but the problem and the reason that Twitter hasn't done that previously is because there's no way to ensure that they aren't allowing people to monetize child sexual abuse material. And the team that would have been in charge of doing that and was in charge of ensuring that didn't happen, Elon fired all of them. He laid everyone off. So now he wants to roll out this feature that could have really dangerous consequences. Um, and he doesn't have the team to <laughs> responsibly do it. And also he doesn't have the advertisers. I mean, if he wants to get Mr. Beast on the platform, which he's said, you know, he wants YouTubers putting their YouTube videos. Why don't they put it on Twitter? Well, because they're not making money. And you have to have big advertisers on the platform to give a, a proper revenue split. And he's, you know, alienated every big advertiser. So I really don't know what his strategy is, but mm. I don't know. I mean, Twitter, Twitter's been on life support for a while. So I kind of feel like, you know what, let's see. But, I, but it is scary to see a CEO also tweeting like conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Yeah. I've got a like, question like like is twitter as as important as one elon thinks and two as the people who use it think it is like is it actually as important and and taylor you, you fit in one of the buckets of people that i think as a, a journalist um it's really valuable to and so i think you guys as a generalization over index on how valuable or important it is but Am I out of line? 
No, I think it's 100% correct. I mean, I think that if, you know, Snapchat and Twitter have similar user numbers, but look at how much more coverage Twitter gets in the media, right? Because media people are all addicted to Twitter and on Twitter. So it seems it, for most people in journalism, Twitter is their only social network, right? Like they might have a Instagram mm. where they post a couple photos, but they don't really like live on the internet. Uh, Twitter is their experience of the internet. So I think that's why you get the coverage that you get. Um, I, I do think it's important in the sense that like the, the network that they've created there is important. For instance, if you are a activist or, you know, a sitting member of Congress, like, and you want to get a statement out to the public, Twitter is where you can go and do that. It is also the only text-based social mm -hmm. platform that we have that's real time and searchable. So it's valuable, but it's not irreplaceable. I mean, I think TikTok mm -hmm. is already driving a lot more cultural conversations. I was talking to somebody earlier today that was like, you know, if you drove down the highway and you saw some crazy fire video, you know, you took a video of it. I think five years ago, you probably would have shared that video on Twitter. Now, I think you share that video on TikTok um, if you want people to see it, right? Like, whoa, this is crazy. How do I get, you know? And so I, you know, I don't know. I, but I think it's, I, I think it's like the, I think journalists and there's a lot of academics and journalists and people that really, you can't really find them elsewhere on the internet. And it's valuable to have that network. And I would hate for all those people yep. to just be. And then remember MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <R. I. laughs> like, <laughs> can happen. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. I have we haven't really talked about TikTok, but is there anything in TikTok world that has really hit you this year? Well, gosh, early. I mean, I think my earliest memory of this year is getting canceled on TikTok uh, for defending West Elm Caleb. <laughs> if you remember that. Nice. No. Um, I, I was definitely not defending his behavior, but one, which it sounds like he was kind of a jerk and ghosted a lot of women, which is not cool. But, um, there was this like mass, I mean, I, there was just this like organization of attack and, you know, I ended up, I was trying to get him to talk to me for a piece, but like, you know, he lost his job and there's just a lot of crazy stuff that happened. And I just was like, you know, is this type of mob justice? what we want, you know, is that for some random person that's not a public figure, I think to suddenly be having people making hundreds of thousands of views, you know, videos about you, I, I just thought like, that doesn't bode well for, you know, discourse in, in this world. And um, I tried to say that and, you know, people quickly attack me for it, but I stand by it. I think that it was, you know, looking back retrospectively, I, I think that that is a really worrying thing about TikTok. I think TikTok is like mob justice every day. And I think, um, you know, things can blow up there so quickly and be taken out of context. I mean, the couch guy is another like example of that, like something being taken out of context and, um, and that could have really serious consequences, you know, before more reasoned voices enter the mix. Yeah. I think the cancel culture thing is a, a big topic. I need to pull, I can't remember off the top of my head who wrote, has written some fantastic articles. I think they actually wrote them for the times. Basically, yeah, we, we got rid of public shaming before we got rid of, well, some countries have capital punishment, but, you know, generally society decided that public shaming, putting people in the stockade was um, a horrific form of punishment, even greater than capital punishment. Yet now we've sort of come full circle with public shaming and cancel cancellations um, in the online world, which is scary. I think as a journalist, yeah, like as a journalist, I... I'm always wary of these 
public attack campaigns when we haven't heard from the subject or we don't know the full story, right? I mean, some people do horrific things and it's it's reasonable to get upset and, and voice that concern. But I think a lot of times you see this outrage cycle online directed at someone when you don't actually know the full story. And when you dig into the full story, 99% of the time, it's way more complex than it's been portrayed. And so I just think everyone could do well to take a beat the next time you see something that makes you outraged and just you know, dig a little bit deeper. 100%. Okay, and to wrap up, let's look at let's crystal ball a little bit. What do you have? You got some future predictions? Let's go with Twitter. Like quick, snappy. What do you think is going to happen? Are you too scared? You might get cancelled on this good one. Good question. Um, <laughs> oh God, I don't care. Um, no, I really don't care. Um, I think you know I, I'm I'm hopeful that Elon can turn it around, but I'm not super optimistic. I will say I do think we will still be all on Twitter in a year. I don't think Twitter is going to go out of business in the next year. I could be wrong, but you know Elon's got like 44 billion on the line. I, I feel like there's no way it's just totally out of business. So I think it'll still be around in a year. That's my prediction. My other prediction is that journalists will start to diversify. I think journalists are starting to realize what many content creators have realized, which is that you should not over leverage on one platform. You really have to, you know, diversify and, and have an audience elsewhere. And so I think I've seen, talked to so many journalists in the past couple of weeks that are like, hey, how do I get on TikTok? Or like, how do you, you know, how do you get attention on Instagram? Or how do you, you know, what should I start a newsletter? And so I think there's a lot more journalists looking to get into the creator realm mm, that's interesting and where, where where will they be do you think like i know you said diversify but a lot of people going to substack i mean we're all writers so i think substack is like the natural fit um i think i do have some tv friends that are pretty into tiktok but i think it takes you know you have to put yourself on camera which writers <laughs> myself included notoriously hate um but I don't know. I'm I'm also interested in, in streaming. I feel like streaming is just going to be a bigger and bigger thing. Obviously, with the rise of just chatting, you know, you're seeing people go there more to discuss events or news or just different topics. And I think that's only going to grow in the next year. Super. And then what's, lastly, what's the one thing that you're really excited for, for like the creator culture, creator economy coming up? I mean, I I would love to see more women in the space and I'm really excited about, you know, I think when we think of big creators, a lot of people think like Mr. Beast, David Dobrik, it's a lot of men and there's a lot of really incredible women content creators um, that are out there that I feel like deserve recognition. And so I'm hoping that 2023 we have, you know, a woman on the top of YouTube at some point, hopefully not a, you know, super problematic one, but just, just more women creators in general. I, I hope that they get their, their due. Well, as we're recording this, Taylor, so I think you know, put the flag in the sand because YouTube just dropped their top creators for 2022 list, all top ten are male, predominantly white. So maybe the thing we're looking forward to next year is the of course, the of course, top ten list ah. is um the top ten list is a bit bit more diverse and interesting i hope so not, not anything wrong with those top 10 dudes they're doing great stuff good on them but let's let's, let's see give some, them some yeah. competition let's, you know all right i like yeah. that <laughs> yeah love it awesome 
All right, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. This is our last episode for the year. So thanks so much for hanging out with us. And um, best place for people to follow you, Taylor. Yes. Well, I'll stay Twitter for now as well. I'm Taylor Lorenz on everything, TikTok, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, uh, every every year, um, every year. Oh, my God. Every platform. Um, yeah. Um, you can follow me at Taylor Lorenz everywhere. Awesome. Do it. Okay. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for the year. It's been fun. Thank you for hanging out with us. Really appreciate it every time you put us in your ears and get to spend time with us. Until next year, have a great break. We'll catch you in 2023.